Greetings, horror fans, and welcome to episode 231 of Frightmares. I'm your host, Austin Proctor, and joining me across the table today is Spencer Lafferman. Hello. (laughs) (laughs) No, it is not Spencer Lafferman. It is my wife. Spencer got his weeks confused. My wife, Spencer. My wife, Spencer Proctor Lafferman. (laughs) Gabrielle. Uh, he got his weeks confused, or maybe I did. Maybe I told him the wrong week. I don't know, but he was supposed to be here. Didn't watch the movie, and now I have to sub in my wife. So, and here I am. And here you are again, as always, two weeks in a row. Wow! Look at me go. Oh yeah, cracking open a, a cold one for the boys. Coca Cola. Yeah, didn't you hear me when I said we got those uh, those little sci fi cups with the light up cubes in them? I'm like. Oh, if we want to get crazy and have a soda party. A soda pop. Yeah. Yeah. It's a good time. Put some um, Sprite in there. Make them really glow. What, what is that accent you're doing? Minnesota. Minnesota. Get some really small sodas. Get some mini sodas. Get some mini sodas. <laughs> Sheesh. Sheesh. Bagish. Um... I don't even know where I'm at. <laughs> I don't even know where I'm you're at right now. You're in the podcast studio. I'm in America. This is Florida. No, we are talking about a movie from the 80s that has two names. I don't know why. Um, The name you have to search on IMDb and on Letterboxd is The Outing. But the title on the fucking movie itself says The Lamp. So uh, I'm dubbing this this episode The Outing, a.k.a. The Lamp, because I... (laughs) And it's funny, IMDb doesn't even have, like, also known as underneath it. It's just the outing. Might as well call it Alex's Big Day Out. Yeah, it's really what it is. And Eve for the Rescue. So we're talking about this movie. It is a very offbeat movie from the 80s. Strange. So you loved it. Uh, there were parts of it I did really enjoy. Other parts I really did there's, not enjoy. There's two parts I wish I could erase from my brain forever. Accurate. And uh, it's going to have to unfortunately get knocked in those areas, which uh, is a shame because other than those two scenes, loved it. Mm. So you had to just, you had to fuck it up. And that's probably why this director only directed this. You know what? We'll get into the whole presence of that guy in a minute anyway, because I have some theories about why he was way over present for the amount of payoff you got for that. Yeah. His, his, yeah. Yes. (sighs) <sighs> movies. Um, we, do you have something you want to say? No, sorry. Uh, Will apparently bought a sterling sel- uh, silver uh, dining set, like silverware set. And we're like, what are you, 80 years old? My sterling goes with my china. <laughs> You're right. You've got to pull that out every... For all the dinner parties yeah. we'll be having. got to pull that out once a year for the Thanksgivings. You know, we you know you think this podcast is set in 2023, but it's set in 1950. 1950. <laughs> uh, speaking of Thanksgiving, uh, Happy Turkey Day! It's coming up. This will be released on Monday, the something something. Um, what's today? 17, 18th, 20th. So yeah, Thanksgiving is this week. Happy Turkey Day! It's a day that we should just not celebrate, but it's fine. Won't get into it. Mm-hmm. It's fine. Mm-hmm. It's my least favorite holiday. <laughs> Same. And it Boring is. Boring Christmas. Yeah, it's Christmas with no presents and it's centered around a terrible. Yeah. Anyways, I digress. Let's talk about some horror news here. I've got a whole bunch of stuff for you guys. Um, starting with, uh, there's a whole bunch of good movies coming out between now and the end of the year. Um, so here are some best new horror movies to watch this winter. October has come and gone, but there are plenty of horror movies still on the horizon from holiday horror and beyond. 
We have lots to look forward to for the end of the year. Here's a list of all the new movies we are looking forward to. I edited it down to movies that are coming out like from today and on because there was a bunch that have already come out. So um, some of these will be in theaters, some will be a limited theatrical, and some of these will be exclusively streaming. So starting with Thanksgiving, I can tell you that one is definitely going to theaters. Coming out on November 17th, we are going to see that tomorrow. Yep. And people are saying it's Eli Roth's best work. It is definitely his highest rated movie, cool. uh, which is... Probably because it's it's probably more a little bit more accessible. Well, yeah, and you know, Hostel and Hostel 2 is to, like, in Green Inferno is all like torture porn. They're so. extremely aggressive. Yeah. Yes. I like I watched Green Inferno once and I'm like, yep, and I'm done with that movie. Yeah, that one's pretty upsetting. Besides the fact that there was someone also in the room yellow yelling, foreshadowing every five seconds. Oh god, that was exhausting. That was exhausting. Yeah. Um, so John Carver is coming to town and there will be no leftovers. Eli Roth brings a new meaning to quote, a Thanksgiving feast, end quote. After a serial killer descends upon Plymouth, Massachusetts, after a Black Friday riot ends in tragedy. Never thought it was going to get made, to be honest. Mm-mm. No. And here we are. 2023. What a time to be alive. Next up, we have the Georgetown Project, November 30th. Uh, while filming a horror movie, a troubled actor, Russell Crowe, begins to melt down, leading those around him to wonder if he's relapsing or if something far more insidious is taking place. Um, I love how Russell Crowe is just kind of sliding into horror movies now. Because mm-hmm. he was in Unhinged, which wasn't a horror movie, but it was like a thriller actiony thing. Now he was in Pope's Exorcist, and now he's in another one. So weird. It's kind of a weird transition from like doing, you know, Gladiator to this. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. That sounds fun. Uh, Godzilla minus one, which is a weird name. Um, coming December first, in the bleak aftermath of World War II, Japan reels from the atomic bombings of Nagasaki and Hiroshima as the country grapples with recovering from the devastation of war. The Titan Godzilla is awakened, unleashing a new wave of chaos and destruction on the country. I'm all about Godzilla movies. I would see this. Yeah. What do you think? Um, I guess we'll have to see how they treat the bombings because those were obviously a very traumatic event for. Well, this was made. This was not made by Americans. Yeah. No. I. So I guess we'll just have to see how it goes. Okay, I'm just saying. I feel like if it's if it's actually made by you know Japan, mm-hmm. might they might be a little more sensitive to Probably. that. You you'd think. Uh, so yeah, I'm all about a new Godzilla movie. I didn't know even th- that this one was. I thought the next one was going to be Godzilla v Kong Requiem or whatever the hell it's called. I think but, that uh, one got delayed. No, I'm like I'm waiting for that one. Uh, the Sacrifice Game, December 8th, The Black Veil School for Girls, 1971. It's bad enough that students Samantha, played by Madison Baines, and Clara, played by Georgia Akin, can't go home for the holidays, but things take a deadly turn when a gang of cult killers arrives at their doorstep just in time for Christmas. Bum, bum, bum. 70s horror movie? Okay. And it's about, and it's, and it's a, we've got a lot of Christmas movies coming out. We still have It's a Wonderful Knife. Um... Obviously, Thanksgiving. That's, you know, Thanksgiving. Then we've got the Sacrifice Game. And I think we've got another one that I'm about to talk about. There's a lot of there's a lot of Christmas horror movies coming out between now and the end of the year. Cool. Um, moving on to Lord of Misrule, December 8th as well. The tale follows Rebecca Holland, played by Tuppence Middleton, who has recently taken over a small town. Oh, taken over. <laughs> taken over as a small town priest not taken over the small town priest that would be a different movie just a little (laughs) where her young daughter grace played by evie templeton uh goes missing at the local harvest festival a desperate search begins 
The closer they edge towards finding Grace, the more secrets emerge from the town's dark past. Soon, Rebecca must decide just how much she is willing to sacrifice to rescue her daughter from the grip of evil. Again, I need to get a womp, womp, womp. That's what I need to get for next year. Yeah. Um, I like that it's like, oh, is her daughter worth it? Is Damn. it worth it? Let me work it. Thing down, flip it, and reverse it. For a to swim, in the end, yeah. It's your... Fitman if it's Wayne, yeah. Yeah. Next up, the cello, December 8th. This is one I haven't even heard of until I wrote it down today. An aspiring cellist, played by Jeremy Irons, learns that the cost of his cello is a lot more insidious than he thought. Directed by Darren Lynn Bowsman, who did Saw 2 through 5. 4. That's right. And starring Tobin Bell. Who's also of Saw fame. I thought you were about to say, who's that? Motherfucker. Tobin Bell. No, so, yeah. No. And then um, I know It's a Wonderful Knife is coming to Shudder on the 1st. And we're actually going to be covering that one in December. So that'll be fun. A lot of good stuff coming out between now and the end of the year. Um, in other news of Fleur de Fleur, Five Nights at Freddy's, I can speak. Um, it's past another box office uh, milestone. So this is, I believe, the third weekend it's been out. And it has collected a boatload of cash. Universal and Blumhouse adaptation of the very popular video game has thus far proved to be just as popular as a budding um, as a budding cinematic franchise as the long-awaited movie across the major box office milestone over the weekend. The film has now earned more than $250 million worldwide, which makes it one of the biggest movies of the year. In its most recent weekend, Freddy's pulled in $8.9 million domestically, which is pretty good for a third weekend, especially considering heavy competition from the Marvels, although that kind of tanked. Which is unfortunate. Yeah. You know it's because it was a female-led one. Of course it was. And they just, uh, Marvel guy fans are just uh, trying to tank these movies. For those of you hearing our baby screaming in the background, we have someone here watching her. We're not just leaving her. She's fine. She's She's fine. Four months old, she can take care of herself. No, my mom is here taking care of this baby, so she's not just wailing in the background. Or Please is don't. She? This isn't something to joke about. I don't think anyone's concerned that we're mistreating our child. We're just going to get it like CPS at the door, like, son of a bitch. Yeah. We heard you were taking care of your child. While no. we're recording before the episode's posted. That quickly, someone's going to do that. Um, do, do, do. Not to mention that director Emma Tammy's Tommy. Er, Tammy's. Emma Tammy's video game adaptation has been streaming on Peacock since the day it hit theaters, meaning people can watch it very easily from the comfort of their own home, and lots of people have watched it at home. Even so, moviegoers in mass are choosing to see it in theaters anyways. To date, the film has earned $127.2 million domestically and $125.1 million internationally for a running total of $252.3 million. That is crazy. And it, uh, it came on a budget of $20 million, so that's a pretty big profit margin there. And that's about $230 million if you can do math like I can sometimes. Um, as it stands, it is the 24th highest grossing movie of 2023, just below The Flash. Um, and it's, it's very likely to pass The Nun, which got $268 million. It's so funny because the only reason that they keep making Nun movies is because they crush it at the box office. Yeah. It's so weird how movies that are so meat I mean, I really enjoyed the, the second one, but like the first one made like three hundred million something dollars and you're like, for a movie that everyone hates, it sure made a lot of money. Yeah. <laughs> like I will say it is a weird thing with like the conjuring movies where they keep whenever like a uh, little girl's involved, they keep interjecting these older mean girls who do mean shitty things to her for no apparent reason. Yeah. I'm like, why is that a thing you guys keep doing? I don't know. 
why does the bully mean girl need to show up in all of these? Yeah, that's true. It's just so funny because that franchise is just oh my goodness. It's there's a lot of a lot of movies that aren't that great, but they just make so much money. Yeah, that they continue to make them. I mean, they're doing a fourth Conjuring, The Last Rites. I mean, I never thought they would do. I thought they would do three and call it a day. And now I'm like, oh god, they're doing another one. Like the last one was was it was good, but. You can t- they've just progressively kind of gone down every conjuring. Like the first one, I feel is definitely the strongest. The second one is a close second. The third one is kind of not that close of a third. So I don't know. Maybe they'll return to form. That's always nice. Maybe James Wan will come back and crank out another masterpiece. Wouldn't that be delightful? Mm-hmm. Mm. Next up, we have the "There's Something in the Barn" trailer announces its imminent release date. Magnus Martin's There's Something in the Barn made quite the impression when it screened at Fantastic Fest this year, and now we've learned, thanks to a new trailer and a report of Bloody Disgusting, when everyone else will soon get to see this rollicking barn elf horror jam. December 5th. Why, that's just in time for Christmas. Mm -hmm. Here's an official plot synopsis for anyone just joining the party. An American family fulfills their dream of returning to their roots after inheriting a remote cabin in the mountains of Norway. However, they are in for a big surprise. An elf with a nasty temper lives in the house's barn. When the family starts to infuriate the creature, a raw and bloody struggle for survival ensues. Well, all right then. This is the second, like, gremlin-y, elfy kind of movie that we've got. Because what was the first one? Oh, God. Unwelcome. Unwelcome. That one was so much fun. That one was almost in my top ten for the year. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. That, that one was a lot of fun because they used practical effects and it was just a wacky story. So this seems like another one that's kind of on the same vein, but it looks like it's just going to be one elf. Who knows? Maybe there'll be more. I guess we'll have to Maybe see. Maybe there, be, there will be a whole gaggle of them. So, yeah, December 5th, I'm not sure if that's going to shudder or where that's going exactly, but we'll we'll see it. That's for sure. Mm. Mm, you're so talkative, as always. You look so angry over there. Anything I can do to uh, make you not angry? Not right now. <laughs> no. Okay. Jeez, this is like a mile of news. Well, I have to do a lot of news with you because you're not very talkative during the news. You know, like what am I supposed to do? You added all of this extra, so I, you'd have more to say. Yeah, we got to talk about a whole bunch of stuff. We gotta Holy ca- crap balls! Go ahead. Oh my god. So the people under the stairs remake is being. Ooh. <laughs> now you have something to say. Ooh. The People Under the Stairs remake is uh, being done by Jordan Peele's Monkey Paw. Jordan Peele? Uh-huh. Here's an interesting bit of news. According to the new report over at Deadline, Jordan Peele's Monkey Paw Productions is mounting a remake of Wes Craven's intensely weird 1991 home invasion horror, The People Under the Stairs. Peele will produce alongside Wynn Rosenfeld, and the company has lined up Ezra Clayton Daniels, who has directed things like Doom Patrol and Night Sky, to uh sorry written things like doom patrol night sky to write the screenplay wow the ezra clayton daniels yeah that guy or girl because i'm not sure if ezra ezra is a boy's name i never know uh for those who have never seen the people under the stairs uh here is a synopsis and trust me it's more bizarre than even the description implies The original Universal Studios movie, which Wes Craven wrote and directed and produced with Shep Gordon, follows young Fool, played by Brandon Adams, who breaks into the home of this family's greedy and uncaring landlords. Oh, of his family's greedy and uncaring landlords. There he discovers a disturbing scenario where incestuous adult siblings have mutilated a number of boys and kept them in prison under their stairs in a large, creepy house. As Fool attempts to flee before the psychopaths can catch him, he meets their daughter Alice, played by A.J. Langer, 
who has been spared any extreme discipline by her deranged parents. Fool and Alice attempt to escape together. Yeah, that was a weird movie. It was so good, though. God, I can't imagine Jordan Peele doing it and what's how more warped that's going to get. Yeah, because it's so this is going to be like Candyman. You know, he didn't direct it. He didn't. I don't think he he might have written it, hmm. but he didn't direct it. Nia DaCosta directed Candyman. So it's if it's if it's anything like Candyman, this is going to be a good movie. Yeah. And if it's anything like his other three movies that he's directed, then it's, it's going to be a good movie. Yeah. Everything he's laid his hand in has been amazing. So yeah. everything everything he's done, I think has I've given. stuck his hand up inside of. Just right up in its ass and just made it like a little puppet. Swirl yeah. around. Kermit yeah. the Frog style. Um, so <laughs> nothing more to report at this time. Rest assured that once we know, you will know. Because that's exciting. I know it was rumored for quite some time that he might be doing it, but it was never like confirmed. So... Now we have confirmation. Fantastic. Also, did you get um, funnier bad reviews? No, because every review was like a fucking paragraph. And I'm like, I don't have time to read all of this. Oh, my gosh. They were so wordy. And some of them were just literary jokes that weren't really funny. No? No. That's a shame. I found four. First one. No, I'm kidding. Um, So in case you didn't know, we're getting another Omen movie because we don't have, you know, five or six of those already. Uh. (laughs) The first Omen. Hey, did you know that 20th Century Fox has a brand new Omen movie headed our way? A prequel by the name of The First Omen? What is this? The fucking first purge? Like, what's going on here? It's so confusing when you name a sequel in a franchise the first one because then it's like, hey, have you seen The First Omen? Okay, well, which one are we talking about? The actual first one or the one that's called The First One? Oh, man, we should watch The Purge movies. Yeah, just like just like, yeah, just like The Purge movies. Hey, have you seen that first purge? Well, which one? The 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 one that was made first or the first purge? I think eh. it's worse with Halloween. Have you seen Halloween? Well, usually you'll just say Halloween seventy eight or Halloween, you know, twenty. Yeah, no, not everybody knows the year it came out. So, which Halloween are we referring to? If you're talking about Halloween and you don't know which year they came out, get your head out of your ass. Are you talking like you mean the original one, the remake one, or the other remake one? <laughs> well, us- usually people will say, "Have you seen? You no, know, have you seen Rob Zombie's Halloween? Have you seen David Gordon Green's Halloween?" So if you don't know the year and you don't know the director, fucking get out of here. Come at me with some sort of information. Wow, somebody's gatekeeping Halloween movies now. That's nice. <laughs> I'm just you saying. You heard it here. Don't bring up any movies in front of Austin unless you know your shit. <laughs> oh, my God. Whatever. Anyways, I don't even know where I was. Oh, yeah. Well, now you know about the brand new Omen prequel sequel. <laughs> Finger guns. No, because it's Mike Super Short Show. Oh, Mike Super Short Show. God, that's a recessed memory that just came to the yeah, surface. Yeah, that's never left my mind. Whew. Um, what's more, uh, and what's more, they've released our very first look at the film, which comes to us from director Arkasha Stevenson, and will be exclusively in theaters this coming April. Um, oh, you're going to be very upset here when I read this. So here's the synopsis. When a young woman... <sighs> Yeah, when it, yeah, fucking American women. God, the worst. When a young American woman is sent to Rome to begin a life of service to the church, she encounters a darkness that causes her to question her own faith and uncovers a terrifying conspiracy that hopes to bring about the birth of evil incarnate. The first omen stars Nell Tiger Free from Servant, Tafik Barham from Mary Magdalene, Sonia Braga from Kiss of the Spider Woman, Ralph Innocent from The Northman, Bill Nye. Yeah. 
yeah. Not Bill Nye the Science Guy. No, I, I know who it is. Oh, from Living. The film is directed by Akasha Stevenson based on the characters created by David Seltzer, The Omen, with story by Ben Jacoby Blee, uh, Bleed and screenplay by Tim Smith, Arkasha Stevenson, and Keith Thomas from Firestarter. Yeah. But so, okay, let's get into this again because we haven't talked about this enough. I don't blame Firestarter on the director, okay? I don't. I mean, Scott Teams isn't writing this, right? No. Okay, so we're probably fine. We're probably fine. Now, uh, yeah, but like, what? You know who Bill Nye is, right? Bill Nye, the science guy. Bill, Bill, Bill. Bill. Davy Jones, he was also in Underworld. Oh shit, that's who Bill Nye is? Yeah. Why the, why the fuck wouldn't they say, what is living? What is that? I don't know, but Bill <laughs> Nye is a legend and an icon. Bill Nye the so, guy. slightly more interested, and I say that marginally. 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 I mean, like, when was the last Omen? Was that the 2006 remake one? I'm pretty sure that was re- that came out on 6 6 2006. sure, yeah. <sighs> Goodness. I don't know. I mean, it's got a good cast. It's got a great, great people behind it. I, I would like to see Keith Thomas do something different because of, uh, you know, Firestarter being a complete dumpster fire. I wonder. Hold on. Let me just see. Not Keith. Cinematically wise, it didn't look stupid. That's what I'm saying. It was just like, the words that came out of people's mouths and the direction in which the plot moved. Oh, my God. OK, so he did the vigil. He directed the vigil, which is a fantastic movie. Cool. So, yes. OK, we can just all fucking it's yeah it was we'll never forget yeah oh and he also directed the pikmin's model from del toro's uh, cabinet of curiosities the pikmin's what the pikmin's model which one was that you see that right there oh yeah yeah. that was a good one yeah okay so yes we okay we can haul uh, here we can finally blame everything it's all it's all scott team's fault fucking scott it's all scott team's fault son of a bitch All right, last but not least here, we have a movie called Imaginary. Oh, yeah, I just saw the trailer for that. Yeah, Friends friends Forever, it's time to prepare yourselves for Imaginary. Jeff Wadlow's Imaginary made a splash recently when its very first teaser trailer, an audio-only clip that invited audiences to close their eyes and imagine what might be happening on screen, debuted in front of Blumhouse's Five Nights at Freddy's. That teaser may have been an in-theaters-only affair, but it created quite the impression amongst those who caught it. Blumhouse has recently dropped the trailer for Wadlow's film, and today we are preparing for its arrival with a bunch of fun goodies, from a motion poster to a brand new promo video to a pair of light and dark posters, and even a few words from Wadlow himself. Um, Let's talk about... So let's get on the same page as to what Imaginary is about. Says the press release, from Blumhouse, the genre-defining masterminds behind Five Nights at Freddy's and Megan's... Like, all right, guys, you can't say that about yourselves. I mean, they can. <laughs> we are genre-defining masterminds at Blumhouse. Like, listen, Five Nights at Freddy's was awesome, and so was Megan. But like, okay, let's let's not let's not go into genre-defining masterminds. I'm not sure about that. It's a little yeah. uh, egotistical Unless there. Unless the genre is killer robots. Yeah, because I'm like, yeah, you've you've done animatronics and robots. I don't know what's genre-defining. Uh, whatever, whatever. Yeah. I dig- I digress. So, uh, from the genre-defining masterminds behind Five Nights at Freddy's and Megan comes an original horror that taps into the innocence of imaginary friends and begs the question, are they really figments of childhood imagination or is it something more terrifying lying just beneath? When Jessica, played by DeWanda Wise, that's a fun name, moves back into her childhood home with her family, her youngest stepdaughter, Alice, played by Piper Braun, develops an eerie attachment to a stuffed bear named Chauncey 
she finds in the basement. Already off to a bad start. You found a a bear in the basement. That's probably you have a basement. Bad start already. Mm. Terrible. It's risky. Although I do, I would love a basement where to to like have the podcast room, and I think that would be so much fun. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, we live in Florida, so that's never going to happen. No. Alice starts to play games with Chauncey that begin playful and become increasingly more sinister. As Alice's behavior becomes more and more concerning, Jessica intervenes only to realize Chauncey is much more than a stuffed toy bear she believed him to be. Go. Thoughts. You saw the trailer. I want to see. I want to hear your thoughts. I think I don't know enough, but I was like, <laughs> hey, look, a poster with a bear on it. That could be good or bad. Oh, you didn't see the you didn't see the trailer? No, the, I saw the little oh. teaser thing, but it's like there's not a lot to it. Yeah. But I'm saying um, the whole imaginary friend concept can either be done really well or really terribly. And Do you have any examples? Uh, let's see. I really enjoy um, Drop Dead Fred. <sighs> yes. Well, okay, so like. I like it in the sense I like Drop Dead Fred because it's supposed to be like this return to not taking things so seriously, but it's yeah. a weird way for her to like for uh, Phoebe Kate's character to open up and uh, stand up for herself and really remember who she is. And that's fair because she spent years being beaten down and controlled by everybody else. And then on the flip side, you've also got um, Don't Look Under the Bed. Oh, yeah. A okay. Disney edition of. The dangers of forgetting your imaginary friend and growing up too fast. So now we're getting the straight horror version. You've got like a scale here. So um, though there is a there's actually also an episode of Supernatural where they deal with imaginary friends. Is there really? Yeah. And hmm. only uh, only the kids can see them. It's it's pretty wild. Well, let's see who also is in this. No, no one that I know. That's what I like about Blumhouse. What has Jeff Wadlow done? I know he's done something. Oh, Okay. That makes sense. He did The Curse of Bridge Hollow. He did Fantasy Island. He did Truth or Dare. He did Kick-Ass 2. He did Cry Wolf. Okay. What? Oh, no. I'm sorry. Oh. I'm making a <laughs> you face. You were like, ooh. Like, Sometimes it, it, I make the face of the gif I'm trying to look for. It is kind of a, a decorated pass there. It is, it is very interesting. Um, but also, it should be noted that this is coming out March 8th, 2024. At least that's the slated release date. So that's pretty fun. Mm-hmm. I think, yeah, I think I, I agree with you. It can be done right, but yeah, you got to do it right. <laughs> you know, like you can go literally either way and it's either going to be one of those movies that's like Boogeyman, you know, it's not, it's not necessarily an imaginary friend, but like it's an imaginary tale that has been told to kids. So, and I think that one was done very well. So hopefully this one will follow in Boogeyman's footsteps or maybe even do it better. But Blumhouse has been cranking out some, some hits lately. I mean, Five Nights at Freddy's and Megan, those are definitely great movies. So mm-hmm. we'll see. But Let's get on to the movie here. It is The Outing, a.k.a. The Lamp. Oh, by the way, welcome back to November Syndrome, where we are doing all Vinegar Syndrome titles this month. Whole lot of fun. Neither of us have seen this, correct? Yeah, no, I watch this like every year. <laughs> this is my favorite movie why that I you re- can't watch unless you own it in a physical copy. Yeah, this is a perfect movie to talk about because no one can watch this. It's great. Yay! There's going to be a very select few people in the world who've actually seen this and then they've and then, already got an opinion and and then and then those f- people probably don't even listen to podcasts so we're gonna get like four listens on this it'll be fine yay yay so this is the uh, the outing aka the lamp from 1987 released on september 11th of that year in the usa rated r for moderate sex and nudity severe violence and gore moderate profanity mild alcohol drugs and smoking and moderate fighting in intense scenes is the mild alcohol, drugs, and smoking? Um, Where they drink the beer? Oh, the beer! And when they were did, when they randomly did two bumps of cocaine. 
It and was, never again. And they never talked and about they it never again. never acted like they were on coke either. No. Well, they, if they did one bump, that's not going to get you anywhere. They're teenagers. <laughs> that's true. I wasn't doing that when I was a teenager. Goodness. Uh, moving down the line here. Runtime of an hour 27. Listed as a straight horror. That's it. Mm. Just straight up horror. Directed by Tom Daly, who literally only did this, and I can uh, probably for good reason once we get into yeah. the uh, problems with this movie. There were several. I don't know about several, but there was two for sure. Keep going. Okay. <laughs> Written by Warren Chaney, who has six credits and also did something called Behind the Mask, which was a TV movie from 1992. For, uh, produced by four people, Deborah Winter stood out as she's one of the main actresses. She plays Eve Farrell. Uh, composed by Bruce Miller, who also composed 163 episodes of Wings and a, and 260 episodes of Frasier. Well, that's odd. Very odd. Just went straight into TV. Also composed by uh, composed by Joel Rosenbaum, who also composed 400. No, that's not right. 44 episodes of Jake and the Fat Man. I thought that that was a like Family Guy funny that they made up. No, that's a real show. Yeah, I know. I mean, it wasn't called Jake and the Fat Man on Family Guy. It was like something in the Fat Man. And I was like, yeah. and I was like, oh, that's funny. They're like making fun of some TV show. Oh, they're making fun of that. Yeah. Didn't know that was actually real. <laughs> Had no idea. Cinematography by, oh, man, I'm going to butcher this. I've not been looking forward to this one. Herbert Radishing. R-A-D-I-T-S-H-S-C-H. Radishnik? Yes. Who only has seven Compo- or cinematography credits and nothing else that I recognize that he did. However, he was a camera operator on the Alpine unit for Goldeneye. Well, thank God you found something. Thank God I found that. You go, Herbert. <laughs> Sounds like I'm chewing tobacco. Edited by Claudia M. Country, who also edited The Curse and The Curse to the Bite. Underrated movies right there. I have the double feature behind you. It's fun. And then we have starring Deborah Winters as Eve Farrell, who was also in, or Farrell, who was also in Behind the Mask TV movie from 1992 as Annie Straton. Then we have James Huston as Dr. Wallace, who's done things like Powder as Doctor Associate Number One, and Ray as Customs Agent Number Two. Who can forget? Who can, lest we forget those roles. Then we have uh, Andra St. Ivani. Ivan Yi as Alex Wallace, who has literally only done this movie. And we have Scott Bankston as Ted Penson, who's literally also uh, done this movie. And then Red Mitchell as Mike Daly, who was also in JFK as Sergeant Harkness. Probably the biggest movie out of everything I've mentioned. Yep. The shittiest character is in the biggest movie. Yeah. Estimated budget of $2 million, bringing in a worldwide box office gross of $1.1 million. Based on the effects in this, I assume a large portion of that budget just went to making that very special claymation-looking gin. I don't think that was claymation. I'm pretty sure that was actual size. Yeah, um, but I'm just saying it looked like claymation for being like what I believe to be some sort of animatronic. Um, I'm guessing most of the budget went to that. And thing looked rough, like it looked amazing for '87. That looked awesome. Okay, do you want me to find you some other sci-fi movies from '87 that had su- superior animatronics? I know there's plenty. I don't need you to point them I out. I mean, they made didn't they make a like a Terminator reference in this or something? Mm, I don't think it was Terminator. What was it? I don't know now. 
They made some sort of reference, but it wasn't Terminator. Eh, Way to go. Now that's going to be plaguing me for the rest of this episode. You can watch that again by yourself, man. Oh, so you did not like this. Okay, got it. Uh, Filmed in Houston, Texas. You can watch this on nothing. Nowhere. Have fun. You can watch it on DVD. Have fun finding this movie. Just go buy the Blu-ray from Vinegar Syndrome. Just do that. They have when they have their Black Friday sale on Friday, I think. Uh, movies that come out around that came out around the same time. We have The Monster Squad, The Big Easy, Dirty Dancing, House to the Second Story, The Curse, Hellraiser, A Return to Salem's Lot, Fatal Attraction, and The Princess Bride. Okay, to make this shorter, I've only seen, seen three of these. Oh, you've seen three of these? Yes. Hellraiser. Uh huh. Princess Bride. Duh. Fatal Attraction? No, 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 no. Dirty Dancing. There you go. Yeah. I was looking at this and I was like, the only one I can think that she's actually seen is definitely Princess Bride and Dirty Dancing. And I forgot about Hellraiser. Yeah. Unfortunately, I've seen that with my eyes too. Ah, a movie with better effects. Well, yeah. Yeah. Of course it has better effects. Didn't make I me mean, like it anymore, but... Uh... I mean, really everything besides the the gin was was pretty solid. Like, the blood and gore, I mean, a lot... No, no, of... I'm not saying that stuff, but I'm like... The, and, yeah. and every time there was an infect that it would involve a wire, the wire was, was clear visible. as day. yeah. And then, like, the, old, the age makeup was just awful. You um, couldn't just get an old person? <laughs> like... Yeah, no, they got someone, they put in old makeup and, and apparently wanted her to look like an old man who also doesn't exist. Because no one looks like that. It's like an old woman trying to play a young person that's trying to look old. Or like What's there's a point on? where like um, there's a shot of a dead body in the opening sequence. Man's dead. And for some reason they felt he needed a beard. And it is the most clearly fake beard. Yeah, you could have just not given him a beard. Like, and like he's it a dead. Day. Was, did, was the beard necessary? He wasn't even moving. That's what the point Yeah, he's just laying there. You could have taken the beard out of there. He's an unnamed character. Yeah, he's probably that uh, guy on boat number three. Right. Specific horror moments. Did you have one? Ooh, no. Really? Only because the kill, I guess the, the whole, um, the guy getting his head smushed by that helmet. That was, that was nice. Um, but honestly, I think there were maybe three kills that actually happened on screen. So many of them, the people got pulled out of yeah. the shot and then blood and you're like budget restraints. <laughs> So there weren't as many scare moments. Okay, well, my specific horror moment was the parrot. Yeah, I knew that. Was no, I'm just kidding. Movie. I'm just kidding. That was funny. <laughs> they come around the corner and he's just like, Bruh! I'm like, ah! No, my, my actual favorite horror moment is in the beginning when uh, you get a glimpse of what this gin is capable of and it lifts Max up into the air and there's like smoke and sparks and all this shit going on and she's screaming and her hair's blowing all over the place. So I was like, oh, it's actually pretty, that's pretty, pretty creepy. Um, yeah. Favorite kill? That. The same, the kill. That was that was pretty much it. Wh- which one? The guy with the helmet. I said uh, that. Oh, you just said the kill. Yeah, the kill that I had said. Oh, the kill that you had said. Yeah, mm-hmm. I like the fan kill. That was fun. I don't, you don't see very many people getting killed by fans in horror movies, and uh, also somehow getting stuck up in the air until that guy came in. I don't know. He was, That's he, what I'm saying. Like so much like, of it happened out of the line of sight that you're just like, well, I assume that was graphic. Yeah, but like, remember when the guy came in several several minutes after he had got hit by the fan, and he just falls on him. I was like, was he stuck up there? The was hell? he just floating? Was he just floating? What's going on? I think it was hilarious that when that uh, that security guy got stabbed by that spear, not only was it wires everywhere, and then the spear is like 
he falls back. So the spear is through his chest and out his back, but he falls on the backside of it. So it flips upwards. Uh, So the spear is like an L shape. It's pretty good. But I think the funniest part is when the spear gets really close, pokes him in the neck and then backs up. And he's like, oh, danger's over. I mean, the spear's floating by itself, but it didn't poke me in the neck all the way. So it's fine. And then it stabs him. You're like. Why did you breathe a sigh of relief? Like, okay, the floating spear isn't going to hurt She's gonna me. She's going to tease you. It's fine. <laughs> like, what was Smack. that? Uh, favorite character? I, I guess Alex. Eve. For, for existing. Uh, Eve because she beat up Mike. She saved the day there. Oh, you know what? That was good. I take it back. Eve is cool. Yeah. Uh, and least favorite character. It's a unanimous Mike. Mike. Mike is a raging piece of shit. So strange. Such a strange man. He's He's worse than Bauer from It. At least Bauer had a re- like okay. Bauer, not book Bauer. But no, 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 no. Like yeah, from the movie because yeah. like at least you, at least you knew why he was acting out. It's because his dad basically did what he did to the other kids. It's like the cha- it's like the chain of screaming from How I Met Your Mother. Yeah, it's, it's an yeah. Assist, it's a cycle of abuse. Yeah, this you have no fucking clue why Mike is being a twat. Far as you know, it's because Alex broke up with him, and that of course leads him to do all sorts of stuff Jeez. like assault multiple women. Um, yeah, both insane. just physically and sexually. Um, ram his car into someone else's car which um means nobody wins like um and somehow despite repeatedly getting picked up by the authorities not in jail the whole film you're like i don't understand yeah i have two favorite lines the first one was just so bizarre i didn't get it when they're going to that place that house to rob and the guy's like this place is so far out man even armadillos don't go there and i'm like what is that is that a, do you have like an armadillo epidemic in Texas? What's is that going? A colloquialism we don't get. Is that something I don't understand? Is there just, is 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 Houston, Texas, just running rampant with armadillos? And they're probably like, yes, <laughs> but um, how am I supposed do to? Do they know just that? not live in the woods, or I guess not? And then the other one is from Doctor Wallace when he's cooking. He's like something's burning, and he turns around, and the toaster is like on fire, and uh, you know he's like, oh, I'm not a wizard with toast and coffee. I'm like, you're not a wizard with pushing buttons like what, what do you like I, i'm concerned that you're a full-grown adult with a, a, a mostly grown child yeah. uh and you don't know how to do that pretty sad how is she living how is she how did she make it this how did you make how, it this far your wife must have just died from like sheer exhaustion <laughs> taking care of your ass imdb summary a group of high schoolers decide to stay in a natural museum after closing hours but a newly acquired a mysterious lamp Hiding a deadly force will turn the fun into horror. You forget something? What? What's the last thing you did? What? What's the last thing you did? Oh, did you have a favorite line? Yeah, you think? Oh, sorry. What's your favorite line? Girls love baths. Oh, (laughs) so weird. Mike says this all this racist, uh, sexist, homophobic. He just says, actually, you know, I don't think he says anything homophobic. No. Amazing. They usually add that in. Yeah. Um, but he says all this horrible stuff, and then at one point he's like, girls love baths. Like, what? What does that even mean? Who we'll put that in there? So, um, so we start out in Galveston, Texas in 1893 on a boat, on a ship. It looks like a pirate ship. And you're like, what's going on here? But it kind of sets the scene for what's going on there. There's like one dead dude with the fake beard that was really bad. Yeah. Um, and it's it's the Damascus expedition, so I guess they're bringing a whole bunch of shit back from Damascus. I guess yes, and also let's notice that Damascus is a lot like Demeter, and it's a 
chip that shows up with a bunch of dead people on it and a uh, non-human being. I mean, they mentioned Dracula later in the movie. Like, damn, did you guys just not, were you just not able to secure the rights to a Dracula situation? So you're like, we'll just make it a genie. Coppola already had him and he was already thinking about doing it because Brown Circus was like 92. This is 87. It should have been, not fair market. Uh, Where they don't have the copyright. It's um, free. Free use? Yeah. Or fair use. Fair use. Fair yeah. use. Yeah. So it's very loosely, you know, basically this is just Dracula, but it's a gin. And there's some dead people and there's this person who has that what it was like what the, the bracelet or whatever. Yes. Why magic. does it fall off of her though? Does she is she does she die and it falls off of her? Yes. Every time it fell off of someone, it was because they were dead. Okay. So yeah, it falls off, and that's actually a big part of the story because you need the bracelet to be the keeper of the genie. But like Jeannie's kind of a dick because did she even have that bracelet on when she wished her father to be dead? No, but she said it in front of the lamp. Oh, because we did get that great like lamp POV. <laughs> so here's so the thing. Great. There are like two types of uh, gin lore. Usually if it's a gin, it's a um, creature that will allow you to make wishes and twist those wishes to um, make them like... A bastardization of your actual intention. So it's like the Cenobites from Hellraiser. They're like, oh, we can, we'll give you all these delights, but their delights are fucked up, and like we don't want their delights. Their because, version, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, um, yeah, you wish for whatever you wish for. They find a way to twist it um, and hurt you. Like um, that's why I want you to watch Three Thousand Years of Longing because uh, that's another Jin movie. Because mm. like Tilda Swinton's character won't make wishes because she doesn't. She knows how that works. Oh. Um, even though he keeps telling her that's not what he's trying to do. Like I'm, I'm just trying to let me gaslight you. Just like stop. Yeah. So. Um, <laughs> Yeah, and then there's the version of genies where it's like, oh, they're just trapped people, and uh, they won't. They're like they're they're just here to grant wishes and move on with their day. Yeah. So this version is clearly the gin version, though. Um, the lore around it seems to be wildly bastardized to uh, wedge into this film in a way that makes no sense. How so? Because usually, um, the person who gets the lamp gets to make the wish. But they're aware they're making the wish. Um, oh, okay. <laughs> and uh, yeah, it was just like, oh, and the fact that the djinn is killing all these people randomly, there's no explanation as to how it's e- even able to do that. Like this lady was able to keep the djinn under wraps for a, like a hundred years, but the, the girl puts the bracelet on and suddenly... This gin is like running rampant all over the place. Um, it's the second it's out of the bottle, it's killing people all over the place. Like, what's the what's the parameters for how this works? Well, yeah. So the beginning focuses on um, uh, a girl named Max and uh, Harley, and then some other dude. They were in the movie for such a short amount of time; it doesn't really matter. But it focuses on them, and they're going to this nondescript house to. It's just some rich lady that they're going to rob. Three podunk morons. Yeah, who who are the loudest intruders and robbers. They're just waltzing there, screaming at full volume, throwing things. Like, for people who are trying to rob this place blind, you you kind of are making a big scene. And they even go up to her door and accidentally bust it in. And she's like, who are you? No, they do. They go up there so that way because they think she has the money. My question is, if she's out in BFE, 
How do they know she's there? She's clearly too like she's at like a hundred years old, literally. Yeah, she really is. And uh, how do they even know she's out there? Because she's clearly like bedridden, but with all the lights on. Like, does the parrot take care of her? <laughs> See, and that's the thing we don't know because it starts out. It says eighteen ninety three on like a, like the little title, and then when it moves to the, like the present day, it doesn't say what year it is. It just goes to time. So I'm assuming it's 1987, and the person, the old lady that's there was the girl from the picture on the boat. She was, it was her and her mom, and you have a picture of her and her mom with the lamp behind them, and she is the young girl in that photo. So that's kind of an important piece of the puzzle to know. And there's people that are going to rob her, trying to get her money, and they break in, like, to the, this, like, he just goes crazy on the wall, and he's like, oh, I found a treasure chest on the wall, but it's the lamp. And... He ends up killing the lady who has the bracelet on and who is obviously the keeper of the lamp. And once that comes off, now it's chaos and the, the, the genie is out of the bottle. But they do rub it in a very sexual way. It is weirdly sexual. Both of their guys, but both of the guys had both their hands on. I was like, just give it a good just give it a good rub, guys. Come on. We're, we're halfway there. What's going on? Oh, um, my watch was listening to what you were saying and asked and thought you were asking a question like oh no 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 no, no, no let's no, not no. search rubbing rubbing off let's not search that yeah let's not mm, no thank you so um, oh you know it's also interesting come to think of it most gin genie lore they really can't uh influence you unless you've made a wish like they can't just go doing magic however they want wherever they want they are under the control of somebody the keeper so it is weird that uh, the genie is able to do all this magic and whatnot. Yeah, that, that's, that's fair. way outside the realm of the usual scope of power. Yeah, because it, it just seems like this genie, unless you have the bracelet, it just seems like this genie is out to just kill everyone, or, yeah. or this gin. It, it was it was it was described as a gin in this, although they do say genie one time. So it just seems like, and you know, it's like, how do I know that I'm supposed to put that on, unless someone tells you. You don't know that you're supposed to put that on. What does the scope of being a keeper even mean? Like, does this mean I have to take care of you? Or does this mean you just keep granting wishes for me that um, well, she, will screw the, me over? Like, the, what what does that mean? The djinn, um, at the end of the movie, though, did say that you're the keeper and you're responsible for, t- for taking care of the lamp. And the lamp will take care of you. And it's like, yeah, but... Am I supposed to just polish it and clean it? And what's going? What do I, I got to like, do with this um, bad boy? And if it takes care of me, does that mean you just do any of my wishes? In which case, why is why is everyone running? Why is she running away from the lamp? Because it, it, like that doesn't sound like a bad deal, and is confusing when mixed with all the killing. Yeah. So this gin just seems like it's out for blood for no no explained reason. Just wants to kill everybody who doesn't have the bracelet on. And Alex gets the bracelet completely by accident because she's looking at the lamp when they have it because the lamp gets transferred to the natural history or the natural museum of history or science or whatever. After those people off that lady who had it. Yeah, they literally just stab her in the head with an axe, and it's so great because this is like one of the one of your favorite. You're like, oh, I hope they do this. And so this lady has a head or an axe in her head. A double sided axe to be double sided axe. And the gin gets loose and it goes into the lady, kind of brings her to life. And one of the guys is over top of her and she just takes his head and smashes his head into the other side of the axe. And I was like, ah, it was pretty cool. I'm just uh, really upset that they didn't show that because it it really took away from the I really hope they do that when they didn't actually show it. I'm like, yeah. oh, come on. They just man. didn't have the budget. They cut away from a lot, but they there's there's like I'd say there's three really good on-screen ones. The head turning, um maybe that's it. No, I yeah, there's really only like one or two that are on screen. The head turning one was worth it though. There's like ten people that get killed in yeah. this and um 
three on-screen kills. The spear. Yep. That one was on screen. The twisty head. And the snakes. The snakes. Well, and um, and uh, Ted, he gets like bitten. And, oh, okay, but, yeah. so yeah, like four. Yeah. And because and, uh, I wouldn't count the guy, the snake went up his pants because that's just acting and not actually a kill. He Because he just kind of falls over. Well, yeah, because he got, they, they, had, they had like king cobras in there. He got bit by a king cobra, threw up and died from, you know, poison, Yeah, I wouldn't call poisoning. that an on-screen kill because yeah. uh, the snake was not visible. That's fair. Uh, let's see here. Do, do, do. So yeah, the, when they the lamp gets to the um, so you have Doctor Wallace who is Alex's dad, and then you have Theo who is like Doctor Wallace's um, what's the word I use? Uh, coworker, co colleague. There colleague. we go. Colleague. That sounds fancy. And they're investigating this lamp and trying to figure out where you know where it's come from. There's an inscription on the side of it that they're trying to like decode. Which is hilarious because at the end of the movie, when the Jin is chasing them into the basement, he goes. Which I don't know why their computer is in the basement. You know, like why wasn't it's it? Why the wasn't 80s? it? Why wasn't it in their lab? That's where the things should be. It shouldn't be in the basement. <laughs> Past all those security doors. <laughs> Think about that. In the eighties, um, <laughs> I have no rhyme or reason for computers yeah. in the eighties. So when they go, when they're being chased by the Jin, and they go past like five fire firewalls of like you know, or what what were those called? Those doors, fire doors, fire doors, whatever. He's on the computer, just like typing as fast as he can, trying to decode it, and it spits out, destroy the lamp. And you're like, oh, why didn't I think about trying to destroy the lamp to destroy the gin? Better question. <laughs> why are the fire doors, the, fi the fire doors, which are supposed to protect from destroying assets, why are there like four or five of them in a row five that apart. lead to a room with one computer in it? Yeah, I know. Um, so the assets are under in no way under protection. So <laughs> what? So that was great. That was so great, but yeah, they eventually find out that that's how it has to be taken down. You just got to burn it. That's all you got to do. Which is amazing. So ridiculous. Yeah. So then we then get introduced later down the road a little bit uh, to uh, Ted, who is Alex's boyfriend, and we also learn that she has an ex-boyfriend, Mike, who is a Douche. fucking tool. Yeah, he... Uh... We get introduced to him because he keeps tapping the back of their car with his car. And he's like, all they have to do is hit the brakes and everybody's car's ruined. So what's the plan here? And then he gets arrested, except he shows back up at her school where he then throws her into a locker. Yeah, he like physically beats her. Yeah. And then uh, his buddy does the same thing to her friend. And when Ted comes in to intervene, he somehow gets a good shot in on Mike. But then immediately gets put into an arm lock by Mike's friend, which you don't see how that happens. So uh, someone was totally choreographing these fight scenes. Um, it's like the shovel fight scene from Hobgoblins. Oh my God, yes. Um, yeah, but it's super bizarre. And then when he gets, when Mike gets restrained again, he drops the N word um, to. The one, black principal. Uh, who is also the father of one of Alex's friends. Um, and he, oh my God, he talks about buying and selling him. You're like, no, why did you make it yeah, super and, racist? And then he says like, yes, sir. But in the very, very like. like yes, um, the um, Jim Crow. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Minstrelly kind of. Just a derogatory Big way. Yikes! Yeah, the whole thing is really awkward. And you're like, why? I mean, I get you want to make him look like this asshole. There's plenty of other ways to do that without getting racial. Like yeah. what you just showed me about him beat 
being there you go and then they kind of drop the racial thing completely and then only bring it back around again later because the they so all the students go on a tour of the dad's museum and then uh alex and a few of her friends decide oh we're all gonna sneak back in for the night um which she lures them into because she uh while in a different room, opens the bottle and is kind of possessed. It's not yeah, it's, clear how the possession cl- yeah. works, um, but she's like sort of possessed by the djinn, who clearly is just luring them to murder them for reasons we're still not entirely still not clear really on. Sure. Um, and you never will be. Uh, yeah, but I don't, I, don't, I don't think we're going to get any answers to <laughs> a this. A lot at of all. questions, not a lot of answers. <laughs> so um, once all the teens kind of sneak in there and separate. Uh, the two black teens are together because, you know, yeah, the 80s. God, God forbid we have an interracial couple. That wasn't going to happen. Yeah. Um, but at one point, Mike is doing all these really vague shenanigans to a few people. He blocks, he and his friend, who've also snuck in there, block the, uh, Alex and her boyfriend in a room. Um, they tie a rope around the door that they think this other couple's in. Yep. And then they rape the black girl who's by herself. And you're like, wow, what a weird escalation. You went from wacky hijinks. Actually, you went from uh, attempted car wreck to assault to wacky hijinks to rape. Yeah, you're like, wow. And um, it goes through, unfortunately. And then you get the least payoff of a kill for a bad guy. He pretty much gets stabbed off screen. And then you're like, yeah, he should have gotten the twisty helmet. Yeah, like they built him up to be this massive son of a bitch said, that you really want to see killed, and then it's like kind of a half-assed kill. I was, I told you, I was like, he better get it good at the end, and he should have gotten that twisty head turn, and they should have switched that. They should have switched masks. His friend should have gotten the horn through the chest, and he should have gotten the twisty head thing. That's like a jigsaw trap, which, yeah. by the way, had to have been derived from this because I had never seen like a like a twist. That's like, a medieval torture device. Well, okay, you know what? Just whatever. Okay. okay. Um, but yeah, really, uh, I think they put Mike in because the amount of money they spent on that big thing, they could have made a guy in a suit monster and they went with big animatronic that was clearly very limited on what it could do. So they had to put something else in there to, uh, have an on-screen villain because no one's going to watch a whole movie where all of the kills are done mysteriously with wires. With very obvious wires that you can see wires everywhere. from space. Uh, so, yeah, I think Mike was just added in there as like a, a secondary villain to fill the void because they did I not guess. have the budget or the effects to have the gin be more heavily featured. Yeah, in the because film. the gin is literally in like the last 15 minutes, maybe. And then barely at some yeah. points, the gin's not even there. Um, I mean... Yeah, that he's literally just there to fill that void. It must be, yeah, because you do have a lot of good likable characters. You have Doctor Wallace, who is he's likable. You have Eve, who is the who is Alex's teacher, but also dating Doctor Wallace, which I found to be fun because once Doctor Wallace inevitably dies, because she wished that her dad was dead at the beginning of the movie, and the Jin is like, "Your wish is my command." I'm like, "You weren't even you, you didn't even have the thing on yet." But I guess since the Jin was there and heard, he was like, "Ah, I'm gonna kill your dad." And he uh, ends up he ends up dying. But then, you know, Eve is there at least to, you know, I guess take care of her, you know. So I, I thought that was kind of like a sweet note in a way that I like that they added that in just so that way. Because if she didn't, you know, who's going to take care of her? What's funny? Because she doesn't have a mom either. 
because she did too. She did too. Um, again, from exhaustion, from taking taking care of her man child husband. Yes, I was thinking the same um, thing. Here's what's funny: if you think about that whole sweet, all oh, there are a couple they get engaged thing. Uh huh. It was the shortest route to get them in the same place at the same time to get them there for the climax. I mean, not really. Yeah. Um, how do you get two characters in a room without having to go to multiple sets? Yeah, true. Um, and make sure they are together when they discover Alex is missing and was last seen at the museum. What's the fastest route there? Well, yeah, but he could have made the phone calls like he did because he made like three phone calls. He could have called the teacher and been like, hey, wasn't I like, and she'd be like, no, she went home with Ted. And then, you know. Yeah, it was just like the shortest way to just make sure they were already in the same Well, room. I'm just saying it's nice to have someone that cared about her father that was there. Yeah, I know. Yeah. I'm just saying it's funny because that was literally just thrown in the there so they'd way. be in the same room at the same time. The cheapest way. Uh, the only thing I have, uh, that I have to say is that one of one of the cooler kills that you get to actually get to see on screen is Ted because there's that like sarcophagus with that dead skeleton person in there that they they are trying to find a new tighter seal so that the way that she'll be more preserved. But they just leave that case off all fucking day with which the is, with museum yeah. goers like wandering around it, which totally exposed, and anyone could touch that, yeah. no problem. So they left. They took it off when people were there, and then left it off. So they that, that's going to be really dried out. But the spirit of the gin goes into that skeleton and comes alive and like gets Ted in a very, very, very awesome way. So I thought that was a really fun one, uh, fun death you actually get to see on screen. And like I said, the fan was fun as well. That was you don't get you don't get to see people killed by fans too too often. No. Um, anything else you'd like to say before we wrap up here on uh, the outing, aka the lamp? No, I'm like I'm. It's kind of unfortunate that some of the stuff fell through because um, there were parts of it that were. Fun, oh, like the general story wasn't like deep, but it was uh, entertaining. It's just sad that if I think if they had had more budget, yeah, and a better writer, it would have been a stronger film. Yeah, because uh, the first twenty, I'd say like the first twenty and the last twenty are really good, solid, like forty minutes. But then in the middle, it's it, it kind of lulls. But like it's not because like, it takes forever to get to the yeah, actual event. It, it does kind of take a little bit. But like I was never bored. You know, it was like it's just like a wacky fun eighties movie, and you're like, wow, this is happening. So. Um, that is The Outing, a.k.a. The Lamp, from 1987. Let's do some post-review stuff, and then we'll get out of here. Uh, Taglines, I've got a few here. You can tell me which one your favorite is. They're not coming back. You'll wish you were dead. Don't say, see you later, say goodbye. And um, It's no picnic. Don't even know what that's supposed to mean. And make a wish if you dare. Wow, some of those don't even make sense. <laughs> I just snorted. <laughs> some of them don't make any sense. It's no picnic. Okay. Okay. Then don't no. say see you later, say goodbye. This uh, that sounds no. like some Ouija board stuff. Yeah. I'd like to make a wish if you dare. Yeah. Trivia. You ready for this like mind-bending trivia? Released directly to video in the UK and West Germany and Damon Merrill's debut, who only did this movie. Which is hilarious that that's a trivia piece of trivia they put in there. Like, Fucking And great. then nothing else. So do you call it a debut or do you no. call it a one-off? Just a one-off. Rated 5.0 out of 10 on IMDb, 2.8 out of 5 on Letterboxd. This has a double dash for the tomato meter, so it's not even been rated by critics. 20% audience score. I was going to give it a 4, but I gave it a 3.5 because of the very racial, unnecessary And the fact that it was the only black girl in the whole movie. Yeah, you could have, there was like three other white chicks you could have just done that to. And And they knew one of them was in the bath and they left her alone. I know, I still would have not liked it because I don't like that at all, but you could have done it to any other white girl there, but you had to single out the black chick. But also to do something, to do very mild stuff to the other people and go straight for the most violent thing. Yeah. 
And it was someone who barely interacted with him, too. Yeah, that couple was, like, barely there. Yeah. They were, like, maybe 15 minutes of the movie. So So, weird. What would you give it? Ooh, like a 2-5. Wow, a 2-5 again. Dang. Yeah. Okay. All right. Oh, yeah, I guess that Okay, a 2. Oh, shit. Really? If I have to... Well, I've, I was going to say... I like you said you I, enjoyed a lot of it. If you, I mean, there are parts of it, but the other parts, I just... Like, the, the rape thing really rubbed me the wrong way. No, I know it did, too. I, that's why I'm that's why I'm de- degrading it to... Or degrading it. Downgrading it to... Yes, uh, well, if I had to, like, say Resurrection versus this, I'd rather watch Resurrection again. That's fair. I'll take yeah, that. So. I'll take that. I'll take that. Similar movies according to Letterboxd. We have Venom from 2005, Jason Goes to Hell, The Final Friday, Hatchet, Night of the Demons, and Friday the 13th. Similar movies according to IMDb, we have The Kindred, The Evil Laugh, The Laughing Dead, Shallow Grave, and Beyond Dream's Door. I have four funny reviews. I know you don't have any, so I'll just go ahead and read mine. so wordy. One star from Molly on Letterboxd. The worst freeze frame ending I've ever seen, if that's even possible. Oh, yeah. It was, there were, that, was, that was odd. <laughs> four stars from MJ Says. Permed hair with metallic scrunchies and denim overalls, blue and red gel lighting with sparks flying, smoke machines, and interior wind gusts, snake attacks in bathtubs, fluorescent green eyeballs, and blood-splattered walls. And to top it off, a magical lamp with an angry genie inside who has an axe to grind. Sign me the hell up. Wow. <laughs> uh, four stars from Mackenzie Kaiser features the patented lap, uh, lamp cam, TM. <laughs> and last but not least two and a half out of five from hh review i love how everyone on the poster looks like they got botched plastic surgery which is fucking facts if you, yeah that yeah. is a wild poster <laughs> poster's crazy all right follow us on facebook instagram tiktok and slasher app at frightmares podcast where uh email is stay spooky at outlook.com i'm on letterbox at dr proctor you are watson lmp 90 Next week, me and my buddy Michael will be doing a trauma film from the 90s, I believe, and it involves a mythical creature and a lot of stop motion. Oh, boy. Yeah. So until then, stay tuned and stay spooky.